glory of God is here, it's easy to preach. I can't even tell you how fun it is to preach when God is in the building. There were times during that conference when I felt like God had left the building. And I was saying to myself, I can't wait to get back with our church. Because we show enough going to make sure God is in the building. Amen? You know, I remember showing up to some small country churches, and they wouldn't start till everybody got there, you know? So church wouldn't start till like 12 o'clock. I'm serious. You know, 10 o'clock would come by. Oh, we're still waiting for the pastor, literally. And the pastor's about a half hour late. Oh, now we're waiting for the worship leader. Some of y'all think I'm crazy. I wish Sue Ellen was here. She visited one of these churches with me. But anyways, they'll sit around and wait for everybody to come. And then like when that last person comes, if they felt like moseying in at 12, whatever time it is, that last person would come. That old country church would get started. Now, I don't believe in doing that. We will start on time. Amen? But I think before we get to preaching, we need to make sure that the Holy Ghost has come. Amen? Oh, come on. You need to help me. I need you to help me today because I want you to understand there's nothing up my sleeves, people. You understand? When I go home, I go to the bathroom just like you, okay? There's nothing in my vocabulary or my experience that can change your life. It's only God. It's only anointing. Amen? So I said it's good to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Amen? So we don't want to preach. We don't want to move forward until we know that He's here. Until the Holy Spirit has softened your heart. Until we've reached out to God in prayer and worship. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to open our hearts to God. Now, I as the farmer, I come and plant the seed. But if your heart is hard, the seed won't remain. That's why we start off with prayer and worship. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is softening your heart. Somebody say, give me the seed. Somebody say, give me the Word. Well, if you're ready for a, for a word from the Word, in Titus chapter 2, if you're there, say, I'm there. I want to entitle this message today, The Grace of God. Everybody say, The Grace of God. I want you to learn with me today the grace of God and the part it plays in our lives and how awesome the grace of God is. Now, immediately some of you think the grace of God, what do you think? You think forgiveness. You think salvation, right? You think like, oh man, the grace of God, I've been forgiven of my sins. There's actually two definitions for grace. There's two ways that grace is used in your life and in my life, and it comes from the Scripture. The first side of grace, as I like to call it, two sides of grace. The first side is the mercy. The way they define it, theologians call it unmerited favor. Everybody say unmerited favor. Well, that's one side of grace. You don't deserve the favor of God. I don't deserve the mercy of God. But God gives us grace. Everybody say grace. You don't deserve to be saved. I don't deserve to have the Holy Spirit. I didn't deserve to be a pastor. But I'm here by God's Grace, okay. So grace, unmerited favor, talks about God giving us things that we don't deserve and saving us, forgiving us, giving us spiritual gifts and those things. Well, the other side of grace, the other side of grace is His power in your hour of need. Everybody say, His power in my hour of need. Come on, say it again. Somebody say, grace is God's power... In my hour of need. So what we see is that grace 
is not only reactive, like I've sinned, now I need grace. It's also active. It is doing something. Grace is not just I've sinned, I'm waiting for God to come help me out. No, grace is actually giving you the ability to do things. And what I want you to see today is the things that God wants you to do by His grace. God wants you to do things by His grace. And you might say, well, this is going to be pretty hard. Well, let me just summarize Christianity without God. Impossible. That's what Christianity is without the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. Impossible. You can't live for God without the grace of God. You can't keep these commands, nor can I. And we certainly cannot regenerate ourselves, be filled with the Holy Spirit ourselves. Sure, we might be able to have an emotional time. We might be able to recite a couple of scriptures, sing a couple of songs. But we can't do it without God. So let me just sum it up. The walk of Christ, following Christ and Christianity without God is what? Impossible. But God gives us grace. Not only forgiveness, not only unmerited favor, but He also gives us power in our hour of need. Paul said at the end of 2 Corinthians, he was being afflicted by Satan. He had a thorn in his flesh. He cried out to God, God, spare me from this affliction. God said, I won't spare you from the affliction, but I'll give you grace to make it through. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Somebody say, grace! Grace is God's power in your hour of need. And that's the other side of grace. Amen. This message today is going to encourage you to live for God. To do the things that are otherwise impossible, now becoming possible by the grace of God. If you're ready, say bring it. Amen. Look at verse 11. I'm going to go right to the meat of the message. And then we'll kind of go back to the top. We're going to read the whole chapter today. Go to second, uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. says, for the what? Grace. Come on, somebody say, for the? Grace. Of God, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All right, there's the first side of grace. It's appeared to us. Jesus died on the cross. You can be forgiven of sins. I can be born again. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. But now watch it teaches us, uh uh-oh, now it's teaching us. See, there's another side of grace, see? It's not just this, oh, greasy grace, God loves me, I can do whatever I want, sloppy agape, I can sin and be forgiven, go back and forth. Oh, He loves me, I'm forgiven. No, yes, grace will forgive you, but now it says something to you. Hello? I wish I had a little puppet here named Grace. Do a little ventriloquism. Because here's what grace says. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Somebody say He's a great God and Savior. Amen. Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. That's the one side. And the other side, to purify for himself a people that are his own, eager to do what is right. See, there's that other side of grace. 
You see, Jesus is our great God and Savior, and He gives us two sides of grace. The saving grace, and then the life-changing, live-right type of grace. Amen? It's not just the, you know, the proactive, after I've already done something, then I call on the grace. No, I can wake up every day and rely upon the grace to do good things so that I don't have to use the other side of grace. Are you listening to me? But if using the side of grace and my power, uh, His power in my hour of need, if I should stumble and fall, then I can use the other side of grace, which is unmerited favor. How many are following me? Now look with me in chapter 2, verse 1 of Titus, and let's see what the grace of God is here for us to do. What are these things that God expects us to do? And the things, of course, we said are impossible without His grace. But with His grace, we can do it. Look at verse 1. This is Paul talking to Titus. He says, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. So the first thing we learn in this chapter is Paul gives a message to the pastor. You're going to learn now in this message that God gives a message to older men, older women, younger men and younger women, and everybody that's working a job. And you're going to see those five people being directed to. And the first one that he directs uh, this message to is the actual preacher. So I will preach to myself right now. Joe, you must teach what is, what is in accord with sound doctrine. Somebody say, help them, Jesus. That's what I'm here to do. The first thing I'm supposed to do by the grace of God is I'm supposed to teach you the right things in accordance with sound doctrine. I'm not supposed to come up here and tell you stories about Peter Pan. I'm not here to even tell you things that may sound good and feel good. I'm here today to tell you the truth. And I'm here to do it with the grace of God. And I want to tell you what, sometimes the truth doesn't always make your flesh feel good. Sometimes the truth doesn't always make you have those Holy Ghost goosebumps. You know what I'm talking about? It makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Sometimes the Holy Ghost doesn't always do that to you. Amen. But I'm here to teach you. Okay, now let's go to verse 2. Let's go to our next group. Teach the older men. Okay. Now, all the older men that are here, let's give you the biblical definition of older men. Older men would be 35 years and older. Okay? So all of the older men, 35 years and older, would you stand up, please? We're going to have a few. That's okay. Amen. Stay standing. Let's give a hand clap for the older men. Amen. Now, all the young men, you want to be an older man one day. You may be seated. Thank you. Uh, young men, you all want to be older men one day, right? So this will also apply to you, even though there's a message specifically for you. You want to remember this and set this for your goal. Number one, write this, write this on your note. Older men, what are they to be? Older men are to be temperate. They are to be worthy of respect. They are to be self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Those qualities right there are to be in older men's lives. What does it mean to be temperate? It means to be controlled in your emotions. The other word, self-controlled, is controlled in your behavior and your habits. But temperate and temperance is the ability to control your emotions. Men, we are not to be easily angered. We are not to lose our temper. We are not to become easily angered. We are also not to become frustrated easily, give up easily. Men are to be temperate. Number two, they are to be worthy of respect. So all of the older men here, and you're all on this side right here, you are all to live a life that everyone would respect you. 
Respect is supposed to be what you're worth. Are you listening? If I go to a store and I, and I say, how much is your pop? They say a dollar. Well, why am I willing to pay that dollar? Because it's worth a dollar to me and to the store. Are you all with me? Well, some older men get upset and they say, nobody's respecting me. Well, are you worth the respect? You see, the Bible says when you walk worthy of that respect, it's given to you. Now, I'm not giving people permission to disrespect you. I'm not talking about rebellious children, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But I'm saying, men, you are to have respect. You're supposed to be worthy of it. People are supposed to give it to you uh, willingly. You don't have to walk around going, I'm the man. I'm the man of this house. Everybody respect me in this house. See, once the man has to claim his manhood, he's no longer the man. Are you listening? Once the man has to do all of that, he's no longer the man. But if the man lives, as it says, worthy of respect, he'll receive it. Worthy of respect talks about his lifestyle. Number three, self-control. This is now talking about his habits. The man of God is not supposed to be addicted to wine, to cigarettes. He's not supposed to be addicted to pornography. He's not supposed to spend his money foolishly. He is to live a life self-controlled. He is not to be controlled by anything. His job should not have control over him. How many can say amen? God is commanding the man of God to be under control, controlling his emotions, being temperate, being worthy of respect in his character, and in his actions, being self-controlled. Now the Bible says, number four, he is to be sound in faith. Everybody say sound in faith. That means the older man is to understand this Bible, He is to understand the faith talked about in this Bible, and he is to live according to this Bible. Amen. He is to be sound in faith. Sound means uh, to be be fluent, to to be easily understood. He is not supposed to be unheard, which would mean uh, he's not to be ashamed of his faith. He is to have a vocalization of his faith. His faith is not supposed to be up one day, down the next day. It's supposed to be even keeled. That is what it means, sound. Everybody say amen. I want you to say amen as we go through these for our older men. Next thing the Bible says is he's supposed to have love. He is supposed to be sound in faith and in love. That means the older man needs to love. The attribute in his life is love. He loves his family. He loves his wife. He loves his children. What do we learn love is? 1 Corinthians 13. It's not selfish. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It easily forgives. It easily hopes. It does all of those things. It's not easily angered. He's loving. Everybody say loving. And then next, the next thing, last thing, he is sound in endurance. That means the older man does not give up. He does not turn his back on his family. He does not turn his back on his responsibilities. He does not quit his job when the going gets tough because he knows he provides for his family. Amen? He doesn't turn his back on his church because the church depends upon him. He is a pillar in the house of God. Amen? Everybody say endure. He endures trials and hardships. I've never met a man that hasn't faced trials and hardship. Some men face bankruptcy. Some men uh, face troubles because they have children uh, that they feel they can't provide for, or it's hard for them financially. Some men face troubles with, with their job or finding a good job. The Bible says that the man of God endures. Amen? And we learn in Galatians that if the man of God endures and does not grow weary in well-doing, he will reap a harvest. God will always bless that man. Now, older men, here are the things God wants you to do by His grace. Be temperate, number one. 
Number two, be worthy of respect. Number three, be self-controlled. Number four, be sound in faith. Number five, be sound in love and be sound in endurance. Older men, if that is your heart and you will do that by the grace of God, will you say amen? Amen. Moving on now to the older women. Now, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but this will be the same thing. We'll get to having them stand in just a moment. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. So older women, if you are 35 and older, would you stand up, please? Amen. Don't be ashamed. Praise God. Let's give it up for all the women. Amen. Three and three today. Thank you. You may be seated. What does the Bible teach older women to be? And how many younger women want to be older women one day? Amen. Okay. Number one, women, you are to be reverent in the way that you live. Why does it start right there? Because when women are unholy, what happens? The slip comes up, the dress. Hello? It even happens for older women. I watched Dog the Bounty Hunter. I don't know if anybody's ever watched that. But his wife is the most scantily clad big woman I have ever seen. I, I, I say this with all respect. She reminds me of Miss Piggy. If anybody remembers Miss Piggy, I'm sorry, but that's who she reminds me of. Yeah, she does. She has this fake blonde hair, and it's like big and poofy. And she, she is well endowed, if I could say that. And she wears the tightest shirts ever. The Bible says that she needs to be reverent in the way she lives. Women need to be reverent. Why? Because younger women look up to you. You know, and sometimes, you know, the older women may just be like a Britney Spears age, but the younger women look up to them. So it's always like relevant. There's always somebody looking up to another woman. Amen. And the Bible is telling that the women, you need to be reverent in the way you live. And then it says not to be what? Come on, tell me the Bible knows something about something. <laughs> tell me, tell me the Bible knows what it's talking about. Why, why did he put that right there? Slanderers, don't do that. I mean, I love women. Thank God for you, women. I love you in the church. You praise God in the church. But from time to time, I've realized that slander can become the easiest temptation for some women. Amen. Just like men, what, can, what was the second thing? We, uh, or the first thing we learned, temperance. What's the first thing men got to work on is their temper, right? Getting easily angered, getting frustrated. Well, what's the thing we learned right here? Slanderous. Slander is to say something unbecoming about somebody else or to say something that is private about somebody else when it's no one that, that the hearers, it's not their business. So meaning slander is a, like if I have an issue with Eddie Berto, it's me, it's me telling somebody else about that issue. That flat out is wrong. Or number two, if Eddie Berto shares something private with me, you know, he just shares something, and I hear somebody else, you know, talking about him, and I use that information to make him look even bad and worse in front of those people. That is called slander. And for some reason, because I guess because maybe women have the gift of gab, they like to talk, that that might be the first temptation you'll have. But don't give in to it. Amen? Don't be slanderous. Praise God. Or addicted to much wine. Somebody say, help him, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. 
And you know what? This is so funny because I know, you know, we're all, uh, many of you here are saved and sanctified and God has blessed us. And I don't think that there's any of the older women addicted to wine. I believe you live right. But I look at this and it reminds me of this lady that uh, was my friend's mother that lived next to my house in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And man, this woman was addicted to wine, literally. And uh, she went to a church. I won't say the name, but they allowed them to drink wine. Maybe you know what I'm talking about a Christian church, and this woman, I'm dead serious, her, her husband worked, she did not have to work, all she had to do was take care of her kids, and she began to drink wine all of the time, okay? And that's what the Bible is talking about, that women should not be addicted to wine. Whether you have the time or not, should not spend your time doing that. Everybody say amen. amen. Now look at this. They are now to teach what is good. What an honor. What an honor here that the women are given. It's no coincidence that the Bible considers the woman the teacher. If, if you understand, the Bible says sound in faith for the man, but the, the word teach is not mentioned until it comes to the woman. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that the man does not teach. It's just in this context, in the family, who's going to be the one with the children? The, the woman, most of the time, now I believe with my wife and I, we're going to do 50-50, but even then, I've talked to like, you know, Brother Anthony and Sister Melanie, and I've uh, got some examples from them. They said no matter how much Brother Anthony is home, no matter how much he tries, they still go to the mother first. They still consider the mother, Sister Melanie, their teacher. Younger, uh, older women need to be able to teach what is good. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, look at how this flows. Immediately, the younger women are supposed to be taught by the older women. So the older women are teaching what is good. And who are the people outside of their family that they're teaching? They're teaching young women. Look at it in verse 4. They can train the younger women. Somebody say train them. Amen. Amen. To love their husbands and, and children. To be self-controlled, pure, busy at home. To be kind. To be subject to their husbands. And all the husbands said amen. 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 So that no one will malign the word of God. So now watch. This is beautiful. Not only are the older women to do the things in their list, but they're also to do the things in the younger women's list because those are the things they're teaching. So actually they apply to both of them. But since now younger women have been brought up, let's have all the younger women, 35 years old and uh, younger, stand up. 35 and under. Okay. Come on. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's give a hand clap for our younger women. Amen. You may be seated. So remember, older women, while I'm teaching these things, these things are also for you. And also remember, younger women, that the things I gave to the older women are for you because you will be an older woman one day. And believe it or not, you'll be over 35. I can't even imagine my boobs to boo over 35. But she'll be a hot hottie, about a hot woman. She won't be a desperate housewife. She'll be pleased by her man. Hallelujah. Glory. Amen. Woo! I'm feeling another anointing coming on. I got to move on. Amen. So here's what the younger women are to do to love their husbands. Amen. Isn't that good that I'm loving my wife? Because she's commanded to love me. She's commanded to love her children. If the wife does not set the example of love, the children will never see it. I know that the men have to set that example of love, but everyone knows that there's something special about a mother's love. And when mama's not happy in the home, hello, nobody's going to be happy. 
So husbands, we got to keep mama happy. Because when mama's feeling the love, everybody's feeling the love. Amen? And that's wonderful to love their children, their husbands. Look what the Bible says, to be busy at home. Now, we understand that there's different roles in our culture than there were back then. It was harder for women to get jobs. And so primarily they were going to be at home. And we know that many women have to work jobs. And so when we counsel, we do say, Nancy and I split it up 50-50. And Nancy will tell you, I do the dishes and I clean. You know, she'll cook and do the laundry. We split it all up and it's fun. But once again, the woman still has a role that the man will not have. And that is to make the home her nest. How many know what I'm talking about? That nesting spirit that a woman has to go around and set everything in order to make sure there's groceries in the refrigerator because how many know men we will not do that we show up to the refrigerator just expecting it to be there and my wife she she uh she's so loving to me because when she hasn't gone grocery shopping and it's usually because i've said we'll wait you know to do it in a couple days and uh, she'll see me like go to the refrigerator stand there nothing's in there Open up the freezer, nothing in there. Then I'll walk back to my favorite drawers. You know your favorite drawers and cabinets. I'll open up my favorite drawers, nothing there. Cabinet. And then she'll look at me. She'll be like, oh, bootsy boobs. And I'll be like, don't feel bad. And then like five minutes later, I'll do it all over again. How many know what I'm talking about? If the women don't love their husbands and love their family, we're in trouble. Amen? Oh, praise God. And the Bible also tells them to be self-controlled. Do you know why? Because younger women, you're being tempted with so many things in this world. You're being tempted by desperate housewives. There's even now, I thought desperate housewives was crossing the line. Now there's a show called Swingers on uh, public, uh, you know, national TV talking about couples having sex with other couples. This society has become disgusting. And women, if they're not careful, younger women, they can be uh, tempted by these things. Picking up Cosmopolitan magazine, picking up the Inquirer, spending time watching soap operas. Women, you need to be controlled and guard your heart and home. Amen? The Bible says to be pure. To be pure in the way you dress, pure in the way you talk. Yes, you want to turn on your man. You want to be hot and sexy for your man. But remember, when you walk out the door, there's a lot of other men around there. Amen? You do not want to be a stumbling block for other men. Be pure. Be pure in how you talk. I remember with Ish and I being at the beach, and we saw this young little girl. I mean, I'm saying this, this was like a little Filipino girl about this big. And she had a mouth worse than a sailor. And maybe some of you younger women, before you were saved, can relate to that. You know, I don't know. All I remember is Caselda's picture with the, you know, with the corona. All I remember is that. I don't know. But the Bible says, I always call that. You're going to like wish you never put that up there. Everybody say, young women, be pure. Amen. We don't want the anointing of Britney Spears here. We, we don't want that here. We want Jesus. Amen. Holy and pure women of God to be busy at home. And we know that means uh, taking care of the home, bringing her children together, bringing the family together, to be kind. You know, when women are kind at the house and they're, and they're able to be kind, there's, there's just a peace that comes over the home. But like I said, when my mom used to not be at peace, nobody was at peace, okay? And when mom was mad and yelling, everybody knew it. But when mama was good, it was all good, amen? Be kind. And then the Bible says, be subject to your husbands. Now, this subjection to husbands is not talking about physical abuse. Matter of fact, I was hearing testimonies from former Muslims, young women 
Same as this passage is talking to. As they were becoming a Christian, they had uh, you know, questions about the Quran and questions about their faith. And their husband would beat them. I heard these testimonies. Then the, the women would go to their Amman, their, their pastor, what they call their pastor, the Amman, and say to them, my husband is beating me. And then the, the, the Amman asked them, what is he beating you for? And they told the Amman, and then the Amman beat them. This happens in America. I'm telling you this is the truth. I'm telling you. We just heard about honor killings in, uh, I believe it was Pakistan. They took their virgin daughters because they wanted to marry another, another uh, tribe. They, they, they took their virgin daughters and buried them alive. And the women tried to stop this, the mothers, and they killed the mothers. Okay, we're not talking about being subjected to abuse. Amen? If your husband's doing that, get out of there. Amen? Get out of there as soon as you can. Get some of the men of the church. We'll help you. We'll get the law on your side. We're not talking about being verbally abused. We're not talking about being physically abused, being demeaned. If there's any woman here that you do not feel like you're being respected and loved and treated as a woman, come see me or Ish or one of the elders. Amen? But the subjection that it's talking about here is that if you have a democracy with two people, you'll never get anything done, okay? It's like, do you want to go for ice cream? Yes, I vote, we go for ice cream. Other one says, I vote, we go to Starbucks, okay? (laughs) We're never going to go anywhere. The Bible says that the woman has been chosen, even as the stronger role, to be the one to say, okay, I'll submit. You know, the woman can say how she feels. Honey, I think we should move here. I think we should live here. I think we should eat this. Nancy wants to do her hair this way. Women, you have a say over all that you want to do. But the Bible says when your husband has a disagreement with you, you are to be subject to your husband. And I know it's tight, but it's... Can I get an amen from my wife? I got one younger woman. Can I get some uh, younger women, others to say amen? Amen. And the Lord will bless you. All of this applying to all women, of course, older and younger. And look at what it says. So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You you know, I'm sorry, I read the wrong one. It says subject to their husband so that no one will malign the word of God. That's it right there. Why do women live holy and pure so that we do not have people put us down because our women are not living right? The Bible says when the women live right, people will bless us and say, these guys are Christians. They're living right. But if our women are living loose and unholy and they're having affairs and if they're not running their home right and our children are out of order, the Bible says people will malign the Word of God. That means they'll say, you guys may jump, shout, whoop, and holler, but you're hypocrites. And that's not what we want. We want people to glorify God because of how we live. Amen? Okay, now let's go to the young men. Now look how it says in verse 6. Similarly, so it's saying just like how the young women need to do these things, similarly encourage the young men. All the young men 35 years and younger, would you stand up with me please? Amen. Yes. Amen. We're waiting for one more man. Thank you. Amen. All the men say amen. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. Look at this army right here. You know that they say that so many churches don't have this many men. Because, you know, we make the the, the church out to be like a woman's religion. Not here. We are 50-50 right down the middle. Amen. All the men say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. Give them a hand clap. Yeah, give the men a hand clap. Young men. Conquistadors. Hallelujah. 
List, this is how the young men are to live. They are to be self-controlled. Look at that. What's the first thing we think of our young men today on the streets? Out of control. Pants hanging down, blasting their music, spending their money on things that don't worth anything. Come on, I got an amen from somebody back here. How many know that young men today, for the most part, are out of control? One of the greatest testimonies you can ever show young men is being in control for the glory of God. I'm talking about in all things, showing your parents and the people that are around you that you're in control. You don't lose your temper. You don't curse when you get mad. You don't just quit the job. None of this quitting the job the day of. That, that's for losers and that's for people in the world. Amen? You don't just quit your job like that. You give them two or three weeks because you have a testimony to uphold. I remember I quit 35 jobs before I was a Christian. And it was like guns blazing. I always just found a new way to tell them how I didn't like them. You know what I'm saying? Well, let me tell you. And I told them all that I thought about them. And then out the door, you know. You don't do that as Christians anymore. We have control. And the reason why I'm talking about this, honestly, in the church, one of the most things I hear men deal with the most, and I sympathize because I've gone through it, is working with people on your job. Because one of the hardest things for a man is to be told what to do by another man or by a woman. Just men have a hard time humbling themselves. And you've got to be in control. Control your emotions. Control your Internet, fellas. Don't look at the wrong things on the Internet. Control your life. Everybody say self-control. Amen. The Bible says... In everything, set them an example. Now watch this. I'm being talked to again. Everybody say he's talking to the preacher. He's now telling me, because I am like Titus, I am a young man. Oh, you all getting something right now, huh? See, Titus and Timothy were young men. And right here now, Paul kind of interjects. He says, now you, Titus, he doesn't actually say you, but he says, in everything set them an example by doing what is good. So now I am commanded to be your example. And let's see if you see these things in my life. Because here's what I'm commanded to do to be your example and to then give it back to you. So I am to be an example by teaching you integrity. Have I taught you integrity, young men? Have I taught you to tell the truth even if it hurts? That's integrity. Have I taught you to respect people even if they disrespect you? I remember the one time we had a little uh, Holy Ghost party here, and uh, a friend of a friend decided to show up and uh, got a little out of hand, and Adolfo tried to go out there and be the peacemaker. But he got a little, I want to say pimp slap, but that doesn't sound right, but that's the only word I can think. Got a little pimp slap, and his hat knocked off of his head by this gentleman. And I know that everything in him wanted to be a man not of integrity, but be a man of violence. But he humbled himself. And I hope that he's seen that same example in me because there's been many times that Belmont and Clark, they've called me everything but good. Amen? Everybody say integrity. He's setting an example to the youth. I've set an example to him. Seriousness. Now, we love to have fun in this church, but have I set the example of seriousness? When we worship God here, do you know that we're serious? When you come to the 201 Bible class, do you see that I'm serious? The books that you read that I wrote, the, the lessons on the Internet. Do you see a seriousness here? Even though I'm young, spiky-haired, wearing jeans and kind of good-looking, do you see seriousness? Amen. I'm trying to be serious while I'm being serious. And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Have you heard me have sound speech? Has anyone here, I'm saying like Jesus, can anyone here condemn me of cursing? 
Can anyone here remind me of a curse word that I've said? Can anyone remind me of a time I've called somebody names and I've lost my temper and I've been rude and disrespectful in name calling? No. You would say, Pastor, well, you've rebuked us a couple times. Amen. That might be my downfall. I might love you just a little too much. Because the Bible says an open rebuke is better than hidden love. And I just love you. But soundness of speech. Do you see it? Can you say amen? I'm actually not playing a game. I'm showing you because he just told Titus to be an example. I'm going to apply it to the young men in just a second. But to keep the context of the scripture, it is set directly to me. Soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about it. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, young men, if you see that example here now, you must do what is good. You must do what is good. That means you must keep the Lord's commands. Do not look at pornography. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not uh, commit adultery. Do not have sex before marriage. Can you say amen? Bible says you must have a teaching that shows integrity and seriousness. When you preach the gospel, young men, show people that you're serious. When you're on your college campus, show them that God is not a joke and only for dummies. That God is the great God of this universe and you serve Him with wisdom. And that you have understanding and that you're not a fool. Amen? Young men, teach what is right and serious. And the Bible says soundness of speech. Young men, you, you can do the same thing that I have felt and dealt with a lot of years of my life, and that is just to let out what you're feeling and to let out curse words or let out derogatory things and just let your words control you. The Bible says control your words and be sound of speech. Don't go up and down. Have a soundness in your speech. Maintaining the way you talk to people and the way you treat the people. Can you say amen? The Bible says if we do that, we will be blessed by God. Let's review what we've learned. Older men are to be temperate. They're to be worthy of respect, self-control, sound faith and love and endurance. Older women, like younger women both, are to be reverent in the way they live, not slanderous, not addicted to much wine, teaching what is good, training the younger women to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, busy at home, to be kind, subject to their husbands. Young men are to have those same qualities along with being self-controlled. And I, the pastor, am to set an example as they are setting an example of doing what is good, teaching in integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that we may not be condemned. Everybody say amen. amen. Now verse 9, it says, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, to not talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show them that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now all the slaves stand up. Got quiet. Amen. I'm just kidding. Some of you already know where I'm going. This was not a slavery based on racism, first of all. So some people who would say, oh, our Bible teaches people to be subject under racist slavery. This is not a slavery of racism. This is a bond slavery. This is people working their jobs who got into debt or had been captured by other armies. Are you listening? The, the more uh, clear definition of this slavery would be classism would be different classes of society. Now, of course, the Bible does not agree with it, and he talks about that other places. But right here, what it's saying is, if you're in this society, work within that, that structure and don't try to rebel and do what is wrong. So what we will do is we will take this, how most theologians apply this to our generation, people who are working for the man, okay? So if you're working for the man night and day, will you all stand up with me? All the people who are employed, one person is employed here. The rest are standing. Okay. 
All the people who are employed by a job, stand up. Okay, no one, some of you are unemployed. If you want to be employed, would you stand up with us? Amen. Now give yourself a hand clap. Amen. You are a slave. You're a slave to the grind. I'm sorry, just pardon me. Slavery just means you're a worker. Everybody say, I'm a worker. Okay, help us, Jesus. Here's what you are to be. You can stay standing because I want to go through this one quickly. You are to be subject to your master, subject to your boss. When you go to work, obey what your boss says. When your boss asks you to do something, do it no matter how menial it is. Unless it costs you your integrity, unless it costs you your righteousness before God, do what he says. Even if he tells you to do it five times over again, just do it. That's what the Bible says you are to do. That's what I'm to do. Do it. It says try to please them. When you go to your work, try to please your boss. Try to please him in all that you do. Also, the Bible says, do not talk back to them. How many here have ever worked a job where you've been tempted to talk back? How many have ever done it? Okay, let's be honest. Bible says, don't talk back to them. Let's be humble. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Let's be humble and watch how far that takes us. The Bible then says, do not steal from them. It's good not to steal from your job. Amen. Don't do that. Only a fool would do that. You'll suffer a fool's consequence. Do not do that. The Bible says, but to show them that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the, te- that they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So here's the thing. When you are trusted, when you're given authority, you're going you're to glorify God. People are going to say, you're the best banker. You're the best teacher. You're the best hair cutter. You're the best trainer. You're the best police officer. You're the ble- best drill sergeant. And they're going to glorify God on your job. Can you say amen? Amen. You may be seated. Now to the close of this message. Band, would you come forward, please? Here's where we started, and now it's where we end. For the grace of God. See, everybody, if I would have started this message just telling you all that what you needed to do, most people would have said, man, I can't do that. How can I be pure? How can I be in control? I'm out of control. You know, a lot of us would have started making the excuses. Oh, how can I not slander? You don't know what she did to me. You know, i got to tell everybody. Well, here's the point. For the grace of God. Somebody say, the grace of God. Come on, say it like you mean it. The grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Somebody say amen. Amen. It teaches us to say no. Say no. no. Come on. No. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. Here's everybody. Say no to the worldly passions and say yes to being self-controlled. Yes to being upright. Yes to having a godly life in this present age. Would you stand with me now? Are you ready to do some things with the grace of God today? Now look at what it goes on to say. As we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. If you have failed in these ways, and sometimes we do, today let God purify you. Don't be condemned. If you're convicted, it's different than condemnation. Conviction says there's something wrong, but here's how you change. You can do it. Condemnation says you're no good. You'll never make a change. You'll always be like this. 
The devil brings us condemnation. He says, oh, look at you. You've messed up. You know you're not a good young man or a good older woman. You need to quit right now. That's condemnation. That's the devil. The Bible says there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Amen? But there's conviction. The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts us. So if today you look at this list, whether as an older man, an older woman, a younger woman, or a young man, and you see things in here that maybe you're not doing right, on your job even, ask God to purify you. Ask God to wash you. Because that's the side of grace that gives you unmerited favor. You and I don't deserve it, but He gives it to us. Amen? But then now the other side. We are to be eager to do what is good. Today's message was so practical, wasn't it? Maybe you didn't have a shouting and hanging from the rafters and running around the building and passing out. <sighs> you know, maybe that didn't happen. That can happen in a few moments as we start worshiping again, okay? But, but here's the thing. It gave us some good things to do. It gave us the practical teachings of what is good. And as I was studying in Bible class this week, I was learning what I already knew, but it was good to be reminded that the New Testament is the discipleship book for new believers. You know how I wrote the book Seven Steps to Spiritual Growth and Twelve Steps to Becoming a Christian Leader? You know those books? Well, this was the book Paul wrote Titus. This was the book written for those people of Crete. That was the city that they were in. This book is meant for you to do something good. Sometimes we look at this and we say, oh, I can't do that. That's too much. No, God would never ask you to do something that you couldn't do. That's called the other side of grace. When you walk out of here and you're saying, man, I've got to take care of my children. Maybe you've been struggling with your family. Or a man today, you've got to be respectful on your job and obey your boss. And you might walk out of here and say, I can't do that. Well, now the grace of God will give you the strength. And look what the Bible says in verse 15. Give it to us, the last verse of today. Speaking now to me, the pastor, he says, These then are the things you should teach. Did I teach you those today? Did I teach them to you? Amen? How many of you are pastors and leaders? Say amen. These are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke. I love that right there. Amen? Come alongside and say, you can do it. When they're struggling a little bit, say, come on, try a little harder. When they get a little bit of attitude, that's when the belt comes off. <laughs> well, that's just what it says. That's how I say a rebuke. Amen? It says, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you. I don't think that you do despise me. But as we go out and teach these principles in this world, people may despise us. Don't get discouraged. Encourage, rebuke. There it is. Some people will want to listen. You might have a younger sister like Jessica. You may see your younger sister and you may say, you know, here's how you want to dress. If she listens, say amen. If she doesn't, say, God help her. All of you here today can make a difference. Live the way God called you to live. And as you learned, it will make a difference not only in your life, but in the people around you. And in eternity, God says He'll get glory out of it. You'll be rewarded on Judgment Day for the things you did here. And God will say, well done. You lived like a wonderful young woman on this planet. You represented my kingdom. No one could say anything bad about you. My name was glorified in you. Amen? Let's raise up our hands and say, God, make me who you called me to be. Lord, today we raise up our hands in sweet surrender. And we ask you to make us who you called us to be. Lord, make me a young man of integrity, Lord. Soundness of speech, Lord. 
God, I want to be self-controlled, Jesus. Oh, la bandelia. God, soundness of speech, Lord. God, I pray that my wife will be a young woman of God. Lord, help her to love me and the children we have and to take care of the home and to work a job. Come on, just pray for your own family as I'm praying for mine. Oh, Lord, we pray for families today. Some of you might say, well, it didn't talk about our children. You can go to Ephesians 6 for that. The the command to children is real simple. Obey your parents. So you want to add that? Go ahead. Lord, help children to obey their parents. Oh, God, I pray for... As you're praying right now, I'm going to pray for some of you. Lord, I pray for for broken homes, from things that are not perfect on the inside. God, you know who they are. I pray that you begin to minister to them. Help the single mother today be all the above. God, she has to be the man, the wife, the husband, the father, the mother. God, be with them. God, be with the one that today... Uh, doesn't have a husband that's saved or a wife that's saved, oh God. Or the one that their children, all their children are not saved. Oh God, let them continue to teach these things. Let them not uh, be despised, oh God. Oh Lord, we want to love and serve you with everything. We want to be who you called us to be. Oh Lord, we love you so much. If you're in this place right now and you need to give your life to God afresh and anew, as we're praying, just come to this altar right now. If you need to be born again and enter into a relationship with God, come to this altar right now. We'll pray with you to be born again. Saints of God, pray that those who need to get right with God will get right. The first step if you're here today is getting saved. You've got to live right. You can't go to heaven with sin in your heart. You've got to be forgiven. You've got to be born again. Religion won't save you. Hallelujah. Second altar call now is for any of those that are out of control. I think a lot of these things can be summed up in that word self-control and out of control. If you're here today and there's anything in your life as a Christian... Or, or, you know, if you're a new Christian, you know, pastor, it doesn't matter, youth pastor, whoever you are, if you're saying, man, there's some things that are out of control in my life, I want to get them in control, just come to, come to the altar right now. Let's get our lives back in order. If you can, just kneel where you are and just say, God, I just give you my life. No one's going to judge you today. I know that sometimes I've responded to altar calls and people might have thought, I was coming up there to repent of homosexuality or something. But I was just repenting because I was watching TV too much. And I don't mean to say that there's different types of sin. But honestly, you know what God's dealing with you on. We're not going to judge you. It's between you and the Lord. If you want to confess it to a brother or sister, you can. But right now, I just want you to pray. Now, the rest of us, if you would say, Pastor, I just need someone just to pray for me, to encourage me to do better. You know, maybe you're not out of control, but you're just saying, I just need encouragement today. Would you come up behind them right now? We're going to pray for you. Just you need encouragement. Maybe you're almost going to give up or something just is eating at you and you need grace today. If you can, just kneel where you are and just say, Lord, I call on you for strength. Hallelujah. Let's start with those that are up here right now that came just to be brought back in control. Just say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of wrongdoing. I repent of letting it get this far. Now, Lord, bring it back in control. 
Bring the way I spend my money back in control. Bring, bring the way I, I watch TV and spend time with entertainment back in control. Come on, some of you just, you're struggling with those things. Just let God take control today. He'll give you the strength by the grace of God. You'll take control today. God in you, God in you can do it. Those behind them right now just say, Lord, give me strength. Give me endurance. Give me endurance to keep going forward. Hallelujah. There's been times when I have uh, been asked by God to do good things and I get tired. I've had to ask the Lord, give me strength. Lord, I don't want to give up. If you came here today, maybe you're on the brink of giving up. Just say, God, give me strength. The Bible says He'll renew your strength as the eagle. You'll mount up on wings. You're going to soar today. That's for everybody. Hallelujah. By the grace of God. I'm just going to ask now if a few of my elders or deacons are not here praying, if they'll just come and just lay their hands on the shoulders of those up here. As we sing that song, you'll renew my strength as wings of eagles. I remember that song. You sang it at Belmont. Oh, Rachel, and it was one of the most beautiful songs that I heard. Jesus, mount us up on wings of eagles. You know what I'm talking about? And I will rise. That one you sang, it was like the first song I ever heard you sing. Oh, God, let's just pray for each other today. Jesus, I just feel a spirit of comfort right now. I feel a spirit of peace right now. As you've been being prayed for and as you feel the victory, you can just start to praise Him too. You don't have to stay quiet. But just let God deal with you. Sometimes we need to remain quiet so He can deal with us, so we can hear Him speak to us. Jesus. Lord, we want to be who You called us to be. Jesus, if your husband or wife or son or daughter is up here, come next to them. Just pray with them. Matter of fact, if you're not by your family, get by them and just pray together today. Pray God's blessing on your family. Jesus, I pray for a blessing on families today. Come in. You got it? That's the one. That's the first one's ever heard you sing. So beautiful.
Lord God, but in everything that we will give glory and honor and praise to you, that we will make you big, that we will make you known by the testimony of our lives. Give us strength when we feel weak, oh God. Give us the grace to do, Lord God, what you've called us to do, to be the, the Christian, Lord God, to be the family that you've called us to be. We thank you in advance. You've given us everything that we need for life and godliness. You've equipped us with every good thing, Lord God, to accomplish your purpose on this earth. Let us show the world who you are, oh God, in our lives. In Jesus' name, be with us, be with our families. Let this week be a time where we just surrender all to you and allow you to shine in our lives. In Jesus' name. Can you just hold the hand of the person next to you? If you're not by your family, let's get all families together. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, God, what a wonderful family we have. Just look at the neighbor next to you and say, you're beautiful in the eyes of God. And you're beautiful in my eyes. Whoever they are, young woman, older woman, just say, be that. Say, be a good young woman. Be a good young man. Come on. Be a good older woman. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How many just today were encouraged and you feel God's presence in here? Amen. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Let's get a doubtful to pray for us and enjoy your week this week. Lord Father God, I thank you for this time, Jesus. I thank you, Lord Father God, for just for just giving us the roles, Lord Father God, for just explaining it to us, Lord Father. Clear as day, Jesus, our roles, our daily roles as young men, young women, older men, and older women of God, Jesus. I pray, Lord Father, that your spirit dwells with us, uh, dwells within us throughout the week, Lord Father, Jesus. Convict us, Lord Father, when we do things that we're not supposed to do, or think things we're not supposed to be thinking, Lord Father. Convict us, Jesus. Keep us strengthened, Lord Father. Give us more boldness, more wisdom, more knowledge, Lord Father. More courage to preach the gospel of the living, breathing God. Hallelujah, Father. Give us strength. Bless us, Jesus. You know our desires. You know the desires of our heart, Lord Father. Give it to us, Jesus. Bless us, Lord Father. Bless your children. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Praise God and give somebody a hug. Amen. Have a wonderful week.